Lefondre looking to get side of Font. Lefondre away from David. 3-1 running. Three points running. Hello and welcome to the Empire Rules podcast supported by Blue Cold Street Food. I'm Alex, your host, joined today by Hugh and Dan to discuss the 1-0, one 2-1, 2-1 loss at Blackburn. You can see I've got used to us losing 1-0, uh, Hugh, so you'll have to forgive my early error there. But yeah, what 2-1 against Blackburn. How are you doing today? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Watched the game on I Follow uh, yesterday. I feel sorry for anyone who made that long journey up, though you did get to see more shots on target than I think our previous three matches combined. So that's that's at least something. You've got to take these positives where you can find them. And Dan, <laughs> how are you doing this morning? Yeah, I'm all good, thanks. Yeah, I also watched an I Follow yesterday. And, and again, um, admiration goes up to anyone who made that trip. I but will... as you mentioned, uh, say, uh, yeah, sorry. Okay. I will admit, anybody, we we did try to get somebody who went to the game to come on, but there was only 280 of them. So it's a little bit of a struggle, in all honesty. Yeah, with the train strikes, they're probably still on their way back. Um, but yeah, as you said, there are a couple of positives to take, but certainly not getting carried away. And, and a, another away loss, I think now we've won once in the last 14 on the road. So it's, yeah, quite miserable. That's a delightful statistic to start the podcast off with. Um, yeah, it's it's not not good away form whatsoever. Let's get into the good, the bad, and the injured. So, obviously, from the weekend, we lost Scott Dan and Andy Yeardham. I think came off at halftime against Millwall as well. And then going into yesterday, we also lost Andy Carroll, who was out with abdominal pain, apparently, according to Sue Paulins. Um, whether he comes back in for the weekend or not is anyone's guess, really. I think at the minute, Hugh. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to read too much into abdominal pain because it's not like, I guess, a usual football injury you hear, like a kind of thigh strain or a hamstring injury, something like that. So I guess we'll have to see. But I, I thought we played better without Carroll, personally. I like seeing Lucas Shaw up top. I think um, I was listening to the Reading Between the Lines podcast and they were saying that it's an absolute kind of war crime in the Championship to not be starting a 20-goal-a-season striker when he's fit in, uh, in Lucas Shaw. Yeah, we'll come on to the starting lineup, but uh, it feels like the first time we've seen Lucas Shaw in about six years. So uh, it was it was nice to see him starting up front. And then, so we'll go on to the good and the bad as well. Dan, the good from yesterday. There was there was bits of it, wasn't there? Yeah, absolutely. There there were a few glimpses of hope. Um, my main one is Cassidy. Um, for me, he has to start um, going forward. He looked quite well. He looked really creative yesterday, and and looked the class above pretty much everything we've had in midfield for most of this season. I would have liked him to see him play with Fauna, um, but obviously not the case. Um, a quick stat for you: had four shots yesterday, three on target. No, no Reading player this season has had more than three shots on target in one game. So that alone is a big positive, um, and I hope that he's done enough last night for Ince to really kind of put his faith in him and, and start him going forward. Yeah, four shots on target in in one game. So uh, more than more than most Reading matches in total. In all honesty, from just one yeah. player. Yeah, you, uh, I agree. I think he was really quite positive last night, and seeing him play behind a, a striker who likes the ball into his feet is only gonna only gonna help him really. Hugh, what about the bad? Oh, the bad, the defending for sure. 
and and also I think going back to what what Dan was saying on the kind of chances created, four shots on target isn't that many really. I mean, it was more than we've had in recent weeks, but it's almost like because it's been so bad lately, we look at a game where we've had. Because you look at Cassidy's shots, there's one from miles out which spun all over the place, which would have won goal of the season. There's one that kind of trickled towards the keeper he should have done better with, and then the goal as well, like you said, and I think Long had a header that the keeper saved well. But that should be your average match. In fact, that's a game where you haven't really created that much if you're reduced to just a couple of long shots and, and a header in the box. So... It's progress, but only because where we were before is so, so bad. Um, and then the defending, they, Paul didn't seem to think after a game it was a close game we should have drawn. Before, and I know we'll get on to kind of how the game went, but before we equalised, Blackburn could have been three or four ahead. They had so many good chances, whether it was Gallagher hitting them over the bar or Lumley making a great double save. I think the, the defence was very open um, yesterday. I definitely think it's a point around... Um, the fact is, yesterday was progress, right? As you say here, it was progress. In terms of going forwards, it was better. But ultimately, it was still miles and miles and miles below what you would want to see. I think, um, and it's only progress because of the fact that the bar was so low to begin with. So, you know, uh, although I think we can praise yesterday for being better, it's we have to put it into the context of where we were previously in the last four or five away games where we weren't even shooting at all. So there is a little bit of, you know, context to be taken with this, with this praise, which might come in this podcast, I think. Let's go on to the lineup yesterday. We made four changes to the lineup and Lucas Zhao started up front, as we've discussed. Cassidy came in, and I want to say it was Mbengue who came in as well, and Loom. I can't remember every change, but there was four changes in total. The main one, obviously, being Lucas Zhao playing up front on his own, Dan. And it looked as well, with that, we were kind of forced to go four at the back because of Scott Dan's injury. Yeah, yeah, four at the back is quite an interesting one. Like, I don't want to spend too much time on Scott Dan, but in my opinion, I'd be happy if he stays injured for the rest of the season. I think his time is up. But four in the back is absolutely fine for me. Um, I think it's just kind of needed to switch it up or just in general. So I'm happy to just see changes here. Um, and I think we did see some positives from it. I'm not sure how much of an impact it actually made four or five at the back. It still wasn't great. Um, but the Carol and Zhao thing is quite interesting because I've seen quite a lot of a lot of comments on Twitter and things about Carol and how it's probably a good thing that Zhao's getting stopped. I, I don't disagree with that at all, but um, I think Carroll has arguably been our best player this season. Um, and I know we've mentioned the bar is quite low. Um, he scored six goals in the league. Um, I think uh, only McBurney has won more aerial duels uh, than him. So it, it feels a bit weird for me to be excited about Zhao starting when I, I, I think Carroll's been our best player. I mean, you can, you can add Tom Minson to that. Uh, argument. I think a lot of that, Dan, comes down to the fact that obviously with Andy Carroll, the the style is basically dictated by the fact he's on the field, right? Yeah. So he's agree. he's involved a lot when he's on the field. Yeah. And to be fair, if you look at that aerial duel stat I just mentioned, he's probably getting lumped the ball 20 times a match. So you'd hope he wins 10 and that all adds up. But um, yeah, again, like going back to uh, Zhao, 
um, and my point on in something to switch it up, but like, this is exactly what he should be doing. Um, I mean, obviously, Carroll's injured, so he didn't really have much choice there. But yeah, as you mentioned, 20, 20 goals, well, he, he could be a 20 goals a season striker. We, we've got to give him a go, surely, in this dogfight. He's pr- got a proven record. Get him on. I mean, he didn't score yesterday, but I certainly wouldn't say it was a downgrade on anything we've seen in any of the previous games. Yeah, I think I agree. When you look at the fact that he's our second highest scorer of the season, he's on five. Carroll's on six. He's on five. But how many minutes has Lucas Yale played? It's not a lot, is it? Realistically, if you if Carroll had had all the minutes that Lucas Yale had played this season, would I back Lucas Shaw to be on 10, 11, 12 goals? Probably, I think. Um, so, it's yeah, it's, it's frustrating to see him sit on the bench every week. But thankfully, yesterday, you know, obviously got the start and... I think one thing on the lineup as well is it highlighted again Ince's reluctance to go with academy players. He could have stuck with the five at the back if he went for a Breffer at right wing back and then Guinness Walker at left wing back. And he could have, if with the 4 3 3 as well, he had a natural left winger on the bench in Femi Aziz, but he stuck Shane Long out there in a kind of square peg round hole role that just had a, hasn't worked. I know Long had one of the best chances of the game. But other than that, there was no creativity down the left wing and there was absolutely kind of zero link-up play between McIntyre and Long the whole game. Yeah, you're basically you're playing as, I want to say, centre-back in McIntyre. You're basically playing a centre-back at left-back, which we know doesn't really work, having seen McIntyre play there, and Shane Long on left wing, which doesn't really work because we've seen that as well. But let's get into the game. I think Reading started positively for the first 60 seconds, Hugh. Is that that's fair, isn't it? Like we had um, a shot right. first. So seconds. I had to re-watch the um the highlights because I was having my dinner and so I only switched on the stream about two and a half minutes in and I picked up my phone to see a text saying, Great, we're already one nil down from one of my mates. So that was fantastic. And um, yeah, watching it back, we win the corner, and then we just we seem to have this thing in the last few games because it happened one of the goals up at Middlesbrough as well where we have a corner and we concede from it because someone takes a heavy touch or makes an error in the middle of the park. And it it just seems kind of completely at odds within this kind of very much we play defensive, we set up to not concede, to really have almost everyone up there for corners. We, we seem to lose the ball on the halfway line and all of a sudden Blackburn have three or four players in our half and... Either Tom Holmes isn't going full pelt or he is not the quickest man out there because watching the highlights back, it looks like he's kind of jogging while three Blackburn players are absolutely kind of outpacing him into our half. And then, I mean, Brereton Diaz will be in the Premier League next season, whether it's with Blackburn or someone else. His, his contract's up this summer. He's he is Spain, a good striker. To where? He's moving to Spain. I think he's signed a contract with... I want oh, to say yeah. Oh, okay, so he will not be in the Premier League next season. He'll be in La Liga. But um, he, is, he is a top striker at this level. You can't, when you play a team like Blackburn and the ball falls to someone like him, you don't get away with the catalogue of mistakes to throw up the cliches that, that Reading made in that move. Yeah, and the the thing about being so defensive... 80 90 percent of the game is you do have to then try and take advantage of these set pieces so i understand the want and the desire to push men forward stand but we leave we left ourselves so open at the back tom holmes takes two steps forward and 
admittedly, Tom Holmes's touch or pass, or I'm not really sure what it was meant to be, but whatever he does here, it falls straight to a Blackburn player, and he's completely like at sea at that point, Tom Holmes. Uh, and it, I think it's in Bengway, he's just left completely, you know, three on one. He's got very, very little chance. And although he gets his foot on the ball when he tries to block the pass, it just falls straight into into Brereton Diaz's path. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just set up all, all wrong at that corner, which, as you said, it's, it's really annoying because it was looking positive. I was like, we've got a corner already. We're looking okay. I mean, albeit 60 seconds in or whatever it was. But then, yeah, Tom, uh, Tom Holmes makes the bad touch. I, I wanted to make a point on that, actually. Like, quite quite a few bad touches, um, particularly around the defence. Um, and I'm just starting to think, like, in the position that we're in, I know it's been our game plan for a little while now to kind of play it around the back, but it has to come to an end soon if we keep giving away these silly goals. Um, I know there was another one where Lumley got caught um, and managed to sort of clear it, but it bounced off one of the strikers and hit the post. Got super lucky there, um, but we just can't keep giving away these silly goals. Another another stat I had was there's only one team out of the relegation zone that has a worse goal difference than us in the whole league. I think that's QPR. Um, and I didn't really want to speak about the six-point possible deduction already, but if we are to get that, the goal difference is a real worry. Um, and it's certainly not helped by sort of messing around at the back and making these mistakes with bad touches and things. It's just basic basic football. We need to be much better at that. Yeah, I agree. Like, ultimately, we can complain about Inter's tactics, but actually the quality of the players are not fantastic as well. So... Mm-hmm. It's a bit of both, unfortunately, when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, Tom Holmes, let's discuss Tom Holmes. I thought yesterday Tom Holmes was not good. And I, I think he hasn't been good for the best part of probably a month now since he's come back from injury. Dan, do you think he's been, uh, I don't want to say rushed back because he has been back for maybe a month, but he he looks almost a different player to what we saw, I think, in the first half of the season. Yeah, I think Holmes is a bit, bit of a weird one. Um, as, as you said, like it's hard to tell whether he is slow or unfit when he's when he's tracking back there, which could kind of play into your argument that maybe he was rushed back a bit and he's not 100%, but we are relatively desperate at the back, so he just makes it in by default. But you're right, like, he, he does seem to have dropped off form-wise, but then again, I feel like almost everyone has, so I, I wouldn't want to be too harsh on him specifically. There is always the option here, of course, that Liam Moore could start. God, do I have to answer? Um, oh, it's it's a tough one because some people have been saying. I saw someone tweet saying, "Oh, Liam Moore's looked really good in the minutes he's played so far." It's like, well, he's only played forty-five minutes in a game that Millwall didn't need to score a second in, and what was it about five minutes at the end against Sheffield United? Moore can play. I mean, if he starts against Hull and he does he does well, then then fantastic. We are kind of getting down to being close to the bare bones in terms of defenders, because obviously, like we said, you've got Dan out, you've got Yeardom out, you've got Hutchinson's probably never going to return in a Reading shirt at this point. So I guess kind of why not give him a go? And if especially because the games are coming thick and fast at the moment, with Holmes coming back from injury. I wonder as well with Holmes, is it the fact maybe he's he's one of those defenders who's been more comfortable in a back three as opposed to a centre-back pairing? Because they didn't look familiar with each other 
Sarah and Holmes um, yesterday. And they kind of, I think a lot of our centre-backs like to progress the ball into midfield. Like they like to take those steps forward, which is something when you're in a back three is a lot easier to do because you know you've got two people behind you to cover that space. Then occasionally there were moments I think Holmes had pushed into midfield and at one point, Loom played an absolute hospital pass to Saar that ended up with Blackburn nearly scoring. So I just feel when you're chopping and changing the centre-backs a lot, it's it's hard to get into that rhythm that earlier in the season we did have when you had that consistent back three of McIntyre, Hutchinson and Holmes. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if you're going to move to a two and you've got somebody like Tom Holmes who... He, he does seem to be very comfortable in a back three. Whether he can, you know, produce the same performances as a back two is is probably still to be seen, right? So we'll, you know, we'll see if he if he starts on Saturday. I would assume he will, but whether he can uh, put in a performance which is, you know, a little bit more uh, reminiscent of what we saw earlier in the season. We'll move on later in the first half. I think it was 20-ish minutes, 21 minutes, 22 minutes. Reading. Cesar Cassidy, 22 minutes. I think it was outside the box, but it all counts, right? And it was a fairly easy, comfortable save for the keeper. Um, so, I mean, we won't we won't touch on it too much because it was actually a fairly routine stop but um the rest of the first half dan reading were okay i think in the first half it wasn't great but i think we were okay but it was all kind of like mirrored by the fact that we were one nil down so blackburn didn't need to do too much yeah i think so we didn't really make them do or, or even step out of their comfort zone really but as we mentioned already it's, it's a low bar at the moment for reading and i think you can look at that first half and take away positives um, Blackburn did have a few chances, which yeah, Lumley made some good saves. Um, and and bar the kind of messing around at the back, I thought it was all right defensively. Um, I don't know actually, I'm probably clutching at straws there trying to get some sort of positives to give you, but yeah, the the first shot on target, um, you, we kind of joke about it being an easy one, but an easy one is better than none and that is exactly what we've been getting for the last couple of weeks so I, I was happy to see it even well I wasn't happy to see it saved of course but happy to see it hit the target yeah I think it was one of those where if it had happened at the Medeski just having that shot on target would have really got the fans in club 1871 going but because it's only 200 people on a cold Wednesday night at Blackburn it probably didn't make too much of a difference yeah, it's one of those uh, one of those shots where it can it can boost the crowd if you've got a crowd, but unfortunately there is no crowd at Blackburn on a Tuesday, a Wednesday night. I think there was two hundred and eighty, um, as you say. It the first half, I, yeah, I don't think there was that much in the way of big chances for either side. Particularly, I think Joe Lumley did make a couple of fairly routine saves in the first half. Um, one moment we didn't, well, one moment I was going to touch on, which I've completely kind of missed on. Joe Lumley for the goal, Hugh. I feel like Joe Lumley gets beaten a lot from distance. It does. I've, I think it's one we've touched on, on on previous episodes where he's not someone who's going to make these great saves. I remember kind of Raphael would fling himself across the goal sometimes and make the, the Sky Sports saves as a referred ones that look good for cameras. But Lumley just 
doesn't do that. And you, you do wonder, is he unsighted? What's happened that's meant he's kind of not, not the kind of keeper who gets down quick enough. But I think this is just his level. You have to accept, I think, that we needed a keeper in the summer and Lumley is going to let those kind of shots in occasionally. He's not going to be consistent from distance. I think one moment we haven't touched on as well with Lumley is the near horror show where he goes to clear it in the first half and it bounces off. Um, is it Sammy Smodix who, who was running through and comes back off the post and thankfully into his hands because that would have been an absolute clangor and wouldn't have done his confidence any good if that had trickled into a bottom corner. Yeah, it's... Um... It's one where Lumley's been caught out a few times like that, I think, but he's kind of got away with it this season. That's the first one where it's really, you know, been potentially uh, disastrous, but he, he, I think he got away with that one. But as Dan said earlier on, if we're going to play it back to the keeper and play it out from play it out from the back out into back out into the defence like that, which we do from time to time, although we do knock it long most of the time, we have we have, you know, been seeing us play it to the defence to be able to just hit it long to Carroll. You are going to get pressured by some teams. So I think, yeah, Lumley probably got away with one there yesterday. Uh, the start of the second half, Dan, I think the start of the second half, Blackburn came out pretty quick. The first 10 minutes or so, Blackburn were kind of all over us. And I think Lumley made two, I want to say two saves earlier on this, early on in the second half. And they, and they had three or four corners in the space of 30 seconds. Um, and it felt like we were kind of on a hiding to nothing there at the start of the second half. Yeah, absolutely. Like for, as you said, for like 10, 15 minutes-ish, I was quite worried. Um, but again, I, I guess you could turn that into a positive that we did weather the storm a little bit until we did equalise. So that is something to take. Um, but yeah, Blackburn's pressure was quite relentless. Um, and I guess trying to turn it into a positive again, Reading do usually crumble under under big pressure. I mean, albeit it's usually 80-plus minutes where they crumble, and we're talking 45 to 55 here. But, yeah, I thought I thought we did handle it well. Um, and then, obviously, it gets a little bit better in the second half. Yeah, we started to put some pressure on, I think. Um, probably about, what, 55 minutes in? I think the tide started to turn a little bit. Uh, 55, 56 minutes in. I think we had a... I think Joe Lumley makes a double save, Dan. Uh, pretty, and then pretty quickly the ball goes up the other end, and I think this is probably sixty-five minutes. He makes a double save, and then we go up the other end and we score within maybe two minutes after that. So it's, it felt like that was going to be a very big kind of couple of minutes there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like even just looking at the goal, like I know we've already talked about Carroll, um, but you you see Reading for that goal, play some nice football. Um, the, the sort of interchange with Castilla, I can't actually remember who lays him off. Um, but it's fast flowing, it's, it's quick passing, and it worked nicely. I mean, I know he's had a long shot and maybe has got a bit lucky, but I think I think the build-up like was was well deserving of the goal and, and it was a real like it was a real bit of light in the match. And I was like, wow, Reading can actually play football going forward because I, I don't think I've really seen them put together a, a piece like that for, for a while. There was creative play that didn't even slightly involve Tom Ince as well, who is yeah. apparently our only creative player in the entire team. Um, no, it's it was um, Zhao. He did a kind of little flick on to Caste. It was like a one-two 
where he just almost let it roll under his foot. And yeah, the strike from Caste is absolutely brilliant at that point, absolutely levers it into the corner. And it makes you wonder why on earth has he been sat on the bench, especially when in his exact box-to-box role, we've been starting Tom McIntyre for the last few weeks. It it really does not make any sense. Uh, the one thing that the Chelsea, uh, some of the Chelsea fans said when he signed is he either scores, you know, headers or absolute worldies. And, you know, yes, they might not quite fall into the absolute world he can, but it was certainly a, a good long-range strike um, for his first professional goal. And, you know, he's what, I think he's 18, maybe 19 at this point, but he's still a teenager. And you can't really understand why we wouldn't play him. And going forwards, he should be getting a lot of minutes for the rest of the season, right, Dan? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think the, the inch point, uh, Tom Ince I'm talking about here, is an interesting one because it, it takes the pressure off him a little bit if you do have another creative outlet in the team. Um, and I think, not to be too harsh on Tom Ince, but I think he's got a lot of praise purely because he is or has been the only one doing anything going forward. But when you've got Cassidy there on the bench and now, well, playing this week, you, you, you just have to look at, at the game and, and, and see he offers something else going forward. And you'd imagine that that will only work wonders for Tom Ince. Um, in the fact that, yeah, he'll have way less pressure on him. He won't have to do everything. Um, and hopefully Reading can have more shots and, well, yeah, hopefully more goals. Which is, let's be honest, if some of the pressure comes off Tom Ince, it can only be a good thing because the the fact is he hasn't, Tom Ince hasn't been good now for a while. We, like, I know he's probably been our best player this season, but he hasn't been a, he hasn't been a consistent performer, I don't think, you for, for a good while. And the attitude thing is is definitely starting to rub off on people now as well, now that his performance is dropping. He looked very frustrated again last night, didn't he? One moment that stood out to me in the first half was Tom Holmes pinged a crossfield pass towards him and it bounced on the pitch. So a kind of a Lionel Messi would have brought it down. There are some championship players who definitely put a foot on the ball, but Ince almost looked as if, as the ball was coming over, oh, I'm not going to go for that. And then the moment it went out for the throw and he threw his arms in the air, kind of berated Tom Holmes. I was watching it thinking, well, you could have stuck a leg out and possibly kept it in play, but you're almost your go-to is just, no, didn't, the ball didn't land exactly where I needed it, so I'm just going to slam my teammates again. And it it can't be easy. I know I've said this before, but it can't be easy for the players getting it in one ear from Paul Ince and probably getting it in the other ear from Tom Ince the whole time. And it does make you wonder, it's a really part of the reason we've regressed a bit because some players do down tools after a while and are just a bit sick of hearing it from Tom Ince, especially because, like you said, I think his last good game was probably the, the Blackpool game. And it's easy for him to be the only creative player on the pitch when the other three midfielders are all more defensive-minded and the only other forward is Andy Carroll and you're playing a back five. So a lot of the time, he's the only creative player on the pitch because that's the lineup that Paul Ince has chosen. Yeah, it's very um, it's very much kind of a catch-22 situation, right? If you, if you only put one creative player on the field, then ultimately they're going to be the most creative player. Um, I agree in terms of his attitude. Like it's it's got to be very difficult to play alongside somebody who constantly berates you when something goes wrong. I mean, I'm sure the squad get along with him just fine, but it can't be easy. 
um, especially when things aren't going well. So, it, you know, if you're going to have an attitude like that, you do have to ultimately have the performances to back it up. And I don't think he has in the last couple of months, really. Um, we made a couple of subs, just about 10 minutes to go. Aziz, a briefer, and Ihab Bishaman came on. Um, I was a little surprised we made three subs in all honesty because it felt like between us scoring and up until the subs, really, the, the game was quite even, I think, Dan. Yeah, I think so. Um, I was, oh, yeah, I was also surprised to see subs. I thought just keep keep going the way we're going, and we looked we looked all right. Um, but then I, I can hear um, me from probably a few months ago, um, and the hay I was giving Paul Lynch for not making any subs. So I don't want to be too harsh on him for for rolling the dice and and yeah and bringing those three on. Yeah, I mean it's a difficult one because you either play 90 minutes of Shane Long and, and Lucas Zhao and I think it was uh who was the last player to come off in Bengway. So you might you either give them all 90 minutes and you don't make any subs because things are going well, and then we concede late and people have a go at you, or you make subs and kind of what happened yesterday happens and Reading kind of just went into their shell, I think, once we made these subs down and in it really Blackburn had three or four good opportunities to score, I think, after the subs before they actually scored. Um, which makes Paul Ince's comments after of it being a close game and you know, we deserved a point. It just doesn't I don't think it really rings true because it just the way that the game played out after those subs, the last ten minutes, Blackburn were all over us. Yeah, it, it wasn't a surprise at all when they did finally score. Um, you're right that they had a couple of good chances. They, they probably could have got a couple in those in those last ten minutes. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, it's his comments after about we should have got a draw is definitely clutching at straws a bit. Um, I think yeah, I, I, as you said, but the pressure they were putting on in the last sort of ten minutes that they, they were always going to score, and, and it is the Reading way, right? As soon as it gets past eighty and it's a draw, you you can bet that we're going to concede. And then it, it proved right again. At the very least, we're going to go back into our shell, aren't we? And, and just try and pull out the point, yeah. which yesterday, arguably, it wasn't the worst idea away at Blackburn, but it didn't work you because we conceded on the 82nd minute. And yeah. the ball kind and of think, just... Um, sorry, I was just going to say as well, I think the issue with taking Zhao off is that you lose that out ball. I think with Kelvin E, he, he looked a bit like a boy playing men's football. At this stage, he might go on to be a great player. He's he's definitely got the potential there from what people have seen in the under-23s. But taking him off just meant that wave after wave of pressure was coming because every time we went long, the ball just comes straight back at you within seconds if you don't have that player like a Zhao or a Carroll who can bring it down to their feet and then look for the kind of sideways pass. Instead, it's getting headed kind of 30 yards back towards your box immediately. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of similar to when we were playing Clark up front last year. It, mm. it always felt like a bit of a, I don't want to call it last option, but it, it never felt like we were actually going to be able to score mm. with up front. Unless something kind of magical happened, it wasn't a case if we looked like really creative and really a, a threat. Um, mm. And I think you're right. I think he looks just a bit kind of, out of place still at the moment in championship football. Um, and it's, you just end up with the ball coming back to you, as you say, it's the second goal. 
Reading are trying to clear the ball. It gets to about the halfway line and Tomins kind of pokes the ball away from a Blackburn player, but it falls falls pretty much straight back to, I think it's the left back, um, who plays it into the edge of the area. And admittedly, I think this is a, it's a nice little through ball into the area, but the defence has just been caught out completely down, I think, for this goal. Um, the back heel just completely falls. I think it's Naby Sarr and, and Tom Holmes and neither of them spot the runner until he's already gone. Yeah, I don't know if it was tiredness or, or what, but it, it was quite lax from the defence. Uh, and you're right, the back heel was, was was lovely. I mean, I'd be raving about it if it was up the other end, but I think they should have been alert to that. It was, it was very slow. The runner is free. It's just poor all round, really. Yeah, it's Sam Gallagher as well with the back heel, which is really disappointing because Sam Gallagher is not a particularly good forward. Um, yeah, they're just. It, I think it's just very slow, slow reactions from all of them, and it's a it's a neat finish from Ryan Hedges, but it's just one of those goals where you look at it and you think it's everything just seems to fall apart a little bit here. Um, like I don't, it, I can't sit there and be like, oh, this has gone wrong and that's gone wrong. It just it just feels like Blackburn have just kind of like cut through us you know, mm. so easily without really any particular effort. But like you said, they were getting quite a few chances before that as well. And and yeah, it just seemed like everyone switched off for a moment. Saar should definitely do better with the back heel because it almost seemed to go under his foot or like there was a second delay on him getting a toe to the ball, but it rolls through easily. I think Tom McIntyre's trying to close down hedges, but he just gets the absolute run on him. And in those kind of situations, you'd be very disappointed in a forward or a midfielder not finishing from there. So I don't think we can we can blame Lumley on that one. But it's what happens if you sit back and defend, you're going to concede these kind of chances eventually if you're not a great defensive side, which we're not. We put a lot of players on the kind of edge of the box, but that doesn't make us actually good defensively. Is it most most goals conceded in the league at this point? Maybe second after QPR at this point, but can't, it's going to be got, close. It's got to be up there, right? Um, yeah, you can't you can't claim to be a good defensive side if you've got the worst defensive record in the league. Unfortunately, that just isn't isn't quite how it works. Um, obviously, Tempest kind of frayed over Dan because Loom managed to get himself sent off just after the red card as well. With <clears throat> what is a pretty stupid reaction, especially after he's just won a free kick. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like he's an absolute idiot. He's won the free kick. He's got enough experience to know it's late on. The game's pretty much gone. Just you just don't react like that. We've got plenty of um, plenty of issues already with injuries and suspensions. Like we're not blessed with millions of options, and Loom has probably started every game he's been available for. So now for him to be out for a couple of games um, at least. It's just like it's just horrible. It's, it's horrific for for insight. And as much as I, I do um, disagree with a lot of his decisions, like Loom has been a staple for him, and, and there aren't really there isn't really anyone else to take his position. But now we're going to have to fill that, and it's just it's just not what you want to see at the end of the game. It, it feels like we're getting forced into making, or Ince is getting forced into making more and more more and more decisions which he doesn't necessarily want to have to make it either. I think if Loom was there, he would play him. And now Loom's not there, he's going to have to try and work around it. So it feels like maybe that means that Cassidy is going to have to start in midfield again because 
ultimately we don't have enough midfielders otherwise it means fauna might have to come back in if he's available um it, it feels like Ince's hand kind of gets forced by these by these kind of stupid decisions, and and he, I think that gives Loom the second worst dif- disciplinary record now in the championship. Um, but Who's I've got oh, <laughs> Mark Kamara at Watford has had two two red cards. Okay. He slightly yeah. beats him out. But do you know who, do you know who has the third worst record in the championship? It's not. Well, it can't be Sam Hutchinson, can it? Even though he was oh, yeah. a booking near enough. But you are close with it being a Reading player. Who who is it? Andy Yedon. Oh, that is, that's surprising. Eleven yellow cards, which is the same as Loom. Yeah, I mean it was, it was just idiotic, wasn't it? Like like Dan was saying, eighty fifth minute, just get into full time. Like, and and what do you expect on the halfway line as well when everyone's pushing forward? Of course, the striker's going to clip your heels. That's what they do. They want to break up the play, so. To react like that is just stupid, and he won't play again now till what Easter Monday because of the international break. So he misses three games that really we should be looking to get points in as well. He's going to be missing Hull this weekend, and then we play Bristol City, and I think it's either I think Birmingham or Preston on the Friday. Um, so those those are games that we're not playing Burnley or top opposition. They're they're games we should be looking to get points. And frustratingly, Loom was all right yesterday, I thought. I know he gave the ball away in one moment, but he really broke up a lot of attacks for, for Blackburn in the middle of the park. And and his passing was okay, other than that one sloppy pass to Sarah, I thought, yesterday. It was one of his better games. And, and like you said, it will probably mean Tom McIntyre ends up in midfield or something like that in the, in the next few games, which no one wants to see, really. I think, yeah, the frustrating thing is, however poor you might think Loom is, ultimately he's in the team because the options behind him are not any better, right, Dan? Yeah, definitely. And, and um, Hugh's right. We'll, we'll probably end up seeing McIntyre in there or uh, another defender or someone who doesn't play in central midfield forced into that role, which just just does no one any favours. Um, so it's just it's just really disappointing. Um, and yeah, as we've all mentioned, like we, we, we don't have that much choice. Um, and you know, it, we need to pick up some points in the, in these final few games. I think there's nine games left, but we will need to, we will need to pick up points. And if we don't have our best players to pick from, then that only gets harder. Yeah. I, I know what, I know what you're trying to say there, Dan. I wouldn't class Loom as one of our best players, but I get your point. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I do agree. Um, he's definitely not one of our best players, but there are arguably anyone better in that position. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah, got you, got you, got you. Let's let's go let's go on to some fan questions because Reading didn't manage to create a chance after the red card. Um, so we've got a few questions people have sent in. As ever, if you've got any questions for us at the end of these podcasts, send us in your you know thoughts, comments, questions on social media or on WhatsApp. Um, Lyle's question, Hugh, is the international break the last chance to change manager this season? Because at the minute we're sleepwalking towards relegation. Yes, in the sense that the games come very thick and fast after the international break. So it's almost like even though it's not Saturday, Tuesday, because of the Easter weekend, it's like going Saturday, Tuesday all the way up until the 22nd of April. So you wouldn't want to change manager in that kind of space. You'd you would have to act after the whole game. I've seen some people 
tweeting of a reckon that he will get sacked after Hull if we don't get a result. But I imagine that's only based on kind of the thoughts in their head that they want him sacked after after the whole game. Um, I, I genuinely don't know what you do at this point because I think we touched on it after the Cardiff game. The last thing I want to see is us bringing a manager right now, almost kind of Paul Clement-esque, like we did in that Stam season, where they get us over the line and then by October next season, November next season, we go, actually, this manager is crap and we only got him because he was someone available to get us over the line last season. Then we're just in, because it has been ever since the Stam season where we nearly went down, I think Burton Albion, Sunderland went down that season. It has been a painful cycle of just new manager in December, January, whenever, sacked the next season because we realise they're not actually good enough. And we we can't go back to that. Now that we've actually invested in the behind-the-scenes structure, this is exactly the job that Bowen, Carey and a lot of, lot of them have been brought in to do. They need to make a decision and for it to be the right decision because we're not back in the kind of 90s, 80s, even early noughties where it was kind of like Koppel did everything on the pitch and was allowed whatever and even influencing transfers. We're at a point now where the coach is simply a head coach. So that appointment has to be made by Bowen and it has to be the right choice. And I just worry if you pull that trigger, I just feel if you sack in, the option for me is no hunt till the end of the season, just because it might be a more positive voice because the negativity around Ince right now is so much that it just seems after, after every game, whether it's the nonsense he comes out with, or it's for doing down of individual players, potentially just giving it to Noel Hunt till the um, till the summer might just give them the boost they need to pick up, say, three or four wins out of the remaining nine games. Dan, do you think uh, a change is you know a change is a positive and would give us that kind of boost? And if so, is Noel Hunt the only kind of option? Yeah, it's interesting you went for Noel Hunt um, and I definitely don't disagree. And I, I was going along similar lines of maybe Murty or McEnough. Um, but again, on, on the premise that they they take over these nine games and we probably look for a more long-term option at the end of the season. Um, the international break is probably the last chance to do it. But at the same time, it's quite a good opportunity to do it if if that is what Bowen decides. Um but yeah, I, I'd be pretty happy with Noel Hunt. I'd be happy with Merton McEnough. Someone positive come in that the fans already love, um, that have loads of passion uh, and a fresh face. I, th- I think it will work. I mean, the passion thing is the biggest one. Um, I'm not saying Paul Ince isn't passionate. You can see it on the sidelines that he is giving what he has. But I just think, as Hugh touched upon, his post-match interviews are, are really, well, really pushing the fans away at this point. And I think he's, probably lost 80%, if not more, of the fan base now. My issue with any of these guys coming in, so any of the ones you mentioned, Dan, um, is it just has a very Alan Shearer-esque feel to it when Newcastle got relegated from the Premier League all those years ago. You bring in a, a manager who's got the fan connection, he comes in and then you get relegated anyway and you've pretty much ruined any chance of them having like any managerial career. Um I do think the issue is, of course, is that I do think if you are going to make a change, and if we do make a change, the only realistic option is probably to do Noel Hunt because he's already employed by the club. 
and you can say it's an interim thing until the summer and then we're going to review and we'll decide in the summer what's going to happen but it it almost feels like we've kind of left it too late I think based on what you said Hugh with the fact that we've previously when we've changed managers it's been January February Mm. December and now now we're at the point where there's only nine games left and you want to make the right choice going forwards in the future but to do that you probably need to get to the end of the season because we can't make the right choice if we don't know what division we're in so it almost feels like we're either forced to stick with Paul Lintz now until the end of the season, which I think lots of fans, as Dan said, don't want, or to go with Noel Hunt as kind of this interim option, which again, is Noel Hunt going to want that? Is the club going to want that? I think they've put themselves in a really kind of like awkward situation at this point. I I do think that it was this exact point in the Stam season that we got rid of Stam and brought in Clement, because if I remember rightly, he only had eight games and he won two of them. And I think if you look at it just on a purely points basis, if we do get the minus six, we're three points above Blackpool, but they are, I know they absolutely slaughtered QPR the other night, but if we can pick up two or three wins and then you're playing it of, will Paul Ince get us another two or three wins? Could just the positivity in the ground even around getting rid of Ince and just simply saying, Noel Hunt is our manager till the summer. Because like you were saying, Alex, I do disagree with Murty in the sense of maybe longer term, but the issue is Murty wouldn't leave his coaching role at Sunderland to come take the Reading job just for eight games. He'd say, well, it has to be a permanent thing. Likewise with... Um, is McEnough a coach at the moment or is he just doing just punditry? Oh, okay. But um, yeah, I'd just go Noel Hunt because you can say to him, look, if you're happy to take this and then step back to the under 23s because you know we're looking for someone to be the permanent manager in the summer, like it can't just be someone given a roll of the dice, essentially. So I guess the question is can Paul Lintz win two more games, three more games this season? I would argue, probably, yeah. games, probably, possibly. Like I don't, I, I, I understand that everybody's frustrated with how things have gone, but ultimately, when I look back at the last, say, four or five games, and you look back and we've played Sheffield United, Millwall, Blackburn, mm-hmm. and Middlesbrough, I wouldn't have expected us to get more than like a point. Maybe we got a lucky win against one of them. I wouldn't have expected us to get more than one or three, one to three points anyway. So it's like it doesn't feel like it's points-wise, at the very least, actually that far off what we were expecting anyway. But I get that for most people at this point, it's not just about the points total, it's everything else as well. One more question, Hugh, before you uh, before you jump in. <laughs> Tommy Doherty has asked, who's been our least awful manager that we've had since 2013 getting relegated from the Premier League? Least awful? Well, I mean, um, not, none, of them, none of them have been great, yeah. have they? I mean, Stam, Stam took us to a playoff final, and I, I will always kind of beat the drum to say that Stam was a very good manager, and we had the behind the scenes absolutely bang on in that playoff season. Um, also, there was a brief, the best ever game I've seen since 2013 is that game we won 5 1 against Ipswich under Steve Clark, where my God, we were good that day. If anyone wants to go on YouTube for highlights of that to cheer themselves up, it's where Orlando Sarr scores for hat-trick. Ollie Norwood scores an absolute screamer. 
And I think Ipswich was something like third or fourth at the time. We played them on a Friday night and we absolutely hammered them. So it'd be Stam and Steve Clark were, were decent enough for us. Dan, who is who is the least awful? I mean, I, I don't think any of them have been really that good. I mean, I think you might think that Stam was good, but now that it's got now now that Stam is not in a managerial role, I'm gonna suggest that perhaps he isn't that good. Uh, <laughs> But who is it, Dan, for you? Well, it's, it's a tough question, isn't it? Because you're right, none of them have been uh, amazing. Obviously, the playoff final with Stam, well, the build-up to the playoff final with Stam was great. That, that, that season's almost definitely the most enjoyable we've had since 2013. Um, but that ended badly. That is probably the worst playoff final in the Championship history. I don't know if that's a fair reflection of it being Stam or just, yeah, both the two teams weren't that great. Um, but one of my favourites, which isn't necessarily least awful, but was oh, Banovic. Oh, I thought you was going to say Gomez there for a second. Oh. <laughs> no, no. I, I, and again, I think because I, I mentioned about Inter's post-match um, interviews and things and how they're, they're really grating on me at the moment. But I thought Banovic was class after the game. Um, I can't actually remember who we were playing, but he gave that one um, when we really needed to win. He's like, we've got to fucking win this game. And I'm like, that's exactly what I want to hear. I don't want to hear excuses. I want to hear, we're going to give everything to get three points this week and save this club uh, from relegation. Um, so yeah, Ince, if you're listening, that'll win me over, mate. Just Towards go for it. the end, though, he did also say, apart from the four goals, I thought we played quite well today against QPR. Yeah. An absolute classic quote. Uh, I will not not forget that anytime soon. I think my answer would probably be Steve Clark. It's, it, I don't think he was particularly good, but I think, as you said, the football that we did play between August and November that season, half time at Fulham is yeah, Fulham game, which I think is pretty much seared on everybody's everybody's memory. That Fulham game, uh, up until the Fulham game when we just collapsed, I think we were two and up, we lost four two. Um, from memory up until then we we were really really good and then he went and spoke to Fulham afterwards and everything just kind of like crumbled into dust so yeah good question Tommy cheers um we'll be back later on today with a secondary podcast uh looking forward to this weekend's game uh looking forward might be the wrong word but you know looking ahead to this weekend's game um against Hull City who arguably have been, you know, just as bad as us recently because they've only won one, one, one game in six. So make sure that you keep an eye out on your podcast feed for that. Thank you, Hugh, for joining me this lunchtime. And thank you very much, Dan, as well, for your first appearance on EPR. If you've enjoyed today's episode, go and drop us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and a review. We always appreciate them. And we'll speak to you all very, very, very soon. Cheers.